So, good morning, everyone. Uh, last month, what we had was the talk, what is a line? And what I really wanted to do there was bring up um, just objective definitions that we can believe in truth, uh, encourage us to develop our biblical worldview, and then becoming fully convinced, share it with others. So what this world really needs is Christian men discipling the generations under them. Now, in this month, what I want to do is expand that topic. Um, like I had said, I initially only planned one talk. <laughs> I just thought of coming up with where is the line. Uh, so then we added what is the line. Now we'll cover why is there a line. Because um, I just thought about that as why do we ask why so often? Why are there questions? Why are there thoughts that run through our head? Uh, why do we have so much in this world that we're dividing between this or that? right or wrong. So we're going to bring in a little more biblical worldview, some classical philosophy, and common life experiences to look at why. If I press the button hard enough, it moves. All right, so what I mean by a line here is just a mental illustration of making distinctions. One thing is on this side of the line, the other thing is on that side of the line. It's just how we can make a difference or make that distinction between two things. So, because we're constantly put in that position of choosing between things, comparing things, and striving to be making the best choice as all the decisions that we face. So, um, I do come up again with, why do we ask why? We see bad things can happen to good people or bad people alike, and we still ask why. And then when life isn't making sense. Now, I often like to bring in a musical reference. Um, and this time, I just have a singer that I enjoy. Her name is Lee Nash. And in this idea of things just not making sense, um, she has this song called Just a Little. And it's, I wonder why just a little that I'm always wanting something more. Life is a riddle I wish I had the answer for. Because all around us, again, we have this example of why. I have a four-year-old in my house. I hear that question a lot. Uh, another thing is, at my work, I always get to hear why. Because that's what I do, is I, I support IT, computer infrastructure for Black Hill Surgical Hospital. And people always ask me, why is this computer not working? Why won't this do what I want? I'm still surprised that we're in the year 2022, and people ask, why isn't this faxing? Because I thought we'd be done with it. <laughs> Still happens. Um, and then one of the other things that I get a lot, because it's me, why would you say that? And then when I'm at my house, I also hear, why would you say that? So I really want to explore this why as we go through it. Now, we have why in our spiritual struggles. Paul captures this when he writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 21. And I'm using the New Living Translation here. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. 
I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Now maybe this is just me, because I've been stuck in circles with sin. I've wanted my actions to be different, and I get very close to doing the right thing, but I inevitably do what is wrong some of the times. Sometimes it can be good, but why is there a struggle? So Paul gives us a conclusion to this and a solution in the rest of chapter 7 and 8, but I'm going to save that for later. So what I have here for us with these lines is I have three key lines, three key distinction areas that I want to make for us here. And I believe that they build on each other and really to answer this struggle, uh, I hope this just makes it clear, well, maybe clearer. Because I don't think this is going to be the final answer to our questions. I don't think uh, we're just going to have a one-and-done situation because these things repeat in our lives. New things happen, new experiences, new demands, new challenges. We can get right back in to this same way of thinking. But I find if we use these three lines and kind of as a progression to go through, it can prepare ourselves mentally. We can give ourselves tools to combat against an enemy that would love us to live in confusion and doubt and not seek after God. So my first one here is, God exists, we are his creation. There is a line between creator and creation. God's design for relationship with us and what happened when we crossed a line into sin. And why is there a line to remind us there is a, and I'm also going to save that for later. Now, what I also have here for this first, separating creator and creation. This can be my disclaimer here. I don't know much. And I'm actually really better off when I don't pretend to know more than I actually do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's also writing, and we know this part as it's used from the love part, the love part in weddings. Uh, but the start of this chapter, the ending have more to say about knowledge than they do love. Verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Now, I don't think this passage collapses us into relativism. Everything is subject. There is no absolute truth. No, we do have absolute truth. Jesus tells us, I am the truth. And there are many things we can know. But I like this passage because I think it does, again, draw that line, make that distinction between when we claim to have things that our knowledge with its prophecy, gifts of the spirits, even times God has spoken us, 
as maybe that's a full picture or it's an absolute, but we only have partial on this side of heaven. We can't know everything in God's plan. And the distinction here is we just have to trust. Now here's an illustration I did really poorly, low quality. Uh, this is my own artwork. Um, but in using that part of our knowledge, um, and I, it's not representative, this isn't to scale by any means, um, but if you think of all of man's knowledge, if we added up everybody's knowledge here in this room as though we could quantify it into an actual figure, every human on earth, we actually just crossed into 8 billion people on the planet, that could be still a finite measurement. And I, I use that here as this black circle. So that's all that man now knows. But bigger than that is all of the possible knowledge, all that we could possibly know. And I use that as this blue circle. I mean, because there's more to learn. There's going to be new scientific discoveries, new technology, uh, exploration of places. You know, like we're finding out ways to go to the bottom of the ocean. But I do not want to be there. And that's one thing. Shark Week convinced me. I don't want to be there. But then you have other things. We're now with this James Webb telescope. If you guys have seen images of that, we're ex just exploring to the furthest expanses of the universe that we can see. But even with all of that, it still has a limit. And beyond that is God. And when you look here with God, He's never-ending. Because who God fully is, is beyond what we can know here at Earth. And when we see Him face-to-face, -face, we're actually going to be continually in awe of Him. It brings about a desire for us to worship Him for all of eternity. So the only point I really want to make here is we're finite creatures with limited knowledge. And in classical philosophy, you have a standard definition of God. Now, this is lower G. God is a deity capable of creation. It's not the same faith, or not the same as God of our Christianity or other major faiths in the world. Now, you can read different thinkers, different writers, philosophers. They'll have different lists, but you usually always find three key attributes on all of these lists. So these are the necessary attributes of God. First, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-capable, and just to further the point of us being limited in our knowledge, uh, I find in the philosophy world there's this common critique against God having omni, uh, being omnipotent. Um, so the mental illustration, the mental exercise on it is, could God create a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Because if God can't create that rock, then it shows he's not all-powerful. But if he can create a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it, and then he can't lift it, then it shows he's still not all-powerful. Now, in one of my classes, we actually spent probably half the time going around and around on this on circles, and I came up with two observations. One is, we spent a lot of time on nothing in philosophy class. The second is, <laughs> the second is, God doesn't work irrationally and without purpose. So you wouldn't have that scenario ever happening. But limited man 
thinks they can catch God. So the second attribute here, omniscient, all-knowing of past, present, future, to never be surprised, to know that his plans will come to pass, that things happen with a purpose. The third here, immutable, not changing, exists eternally, without beginning, without end, completely no need to improve. So what I have here with this first line, God separate from us. It's just to remind ourselves we are not God. It's not really a jaw-dropping revelation, but when we just look at those last three, two, we can see we fall short of being omnipotent, omniscient, and immutable. But do we go through our daily lives, and do we have each day with a belief that we are in control? Do we look to ourselves as the answer for our situations? I think we need that reminder when we're not God, we have to go back to trust. So, what I have here is Genesis and the creation story. Uh, the forbidden fruit, too. I'm not going to really spend a lot of time going over that. I think we have. Um, I know there's a few times in my life I've tried to do the Bible uh, in a year. So I've read through this passage a lot. I'm sure everybody else has experienced it, too. Uh, but there's a few highlights here in this story that I want to bring up. Did Adam have a need? Yes, for like companionship. Did God meet Adam's need? Yep. Better in mind than Adam could. Did Adam and Eve have another need? Nope. And what caused the first sin? Wanting to be like God. Sin happened. Sin broke our relationship with God. And the other consequence of sin here is that God laid out a curse to man and to woman. So there's God's created purpose for us, and then there's the sin we settle for and the false things we seek after. Now, I use this part here as what the actual curse that God said following the sin of man. Because I think there's a lot, there's things that we can learn from here that really still continue in our nature, just like the struggle Paul laid out. Um, what is our sin nature? How does it operate for us? Now, in this curse, this is Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So I do like keeping ideas um, to be similar lines, words. I really appreciate word play together. So as I go to explain this, what I'm going to do is the created purpose compared to the curse, just going to use all words that start with A. So we're created for accomplishment. We were to be God's hand in fulfilling his purpose through man and displaying his image in man. We were commanded to subdue the whole earth 
Go forth, multiply. And getting to have daily intimate relationship with God, which should have been enough for us. But then we have sin. And in that sin, here's what I see that we do a lot of times, is we just settle for acknowledgement. What's a big house? What's a career? What's wealth? Notice what I have and who I am. I saw this as a headline recently where there was this fishing tournament, and the winners were found to have cheated by adding weights into the fish. Men will lie to gain acknowledgement. And I'm sure none of us have ever had a story we've embellished on, on anything we've ever done as well. But the idea for us in stretching the truth or just flat out lying and being dishonest is something we can do in our sin nature because we're, we're looking to get an acknowledgement for us. Now, another thing that happens is when we seek the wrong thing. And I think for men, one of the ways we can seek is to abandon our responsibility and leadership and still hide from God. If you think, how many children have a father who abandoned them? Widespread divorce exists in our, in our country, well, the world. Uh, men stay adolescents into their 30s, 40s, or never become a godly man. Now, with woman's curse, Genesis 3, 16. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Created for adoration and all she is. God's crowning creation, God's hand in fulfilling his purpose through woman, displaying his image in woman. Now, I first taught this uh, Genesis curse lesson when I was at Second Baptist in Houston in the adult singles class. And at that time, I thought I knew a lot about men and women and marriage. So that was 10 years ago. Now I've been married for five years, and I sure have a lot to learn. But what I've seen in this struggle is with young women, and I've seen this in youth ministry, adult ministry. It's this settling for attention that they can do. Look at me, my outside is giving value. And as I've talked directly and I see what happens, they just wonder why they aren't being valued. Why they offer so much in a relationship and they get nothing in return. Or they can stay in a bad relationship with a bad man. But they can seek for authority over a husband and not be content with God's design of leadership. And this is where women can share in a responsibility of making a relationship bad. Oh, go ahead. Jump one ahead. And so what you have in this sharing of a relationship making it bad is when it's not honoring God's design of leadership. We see it over again. There's widespread divorce that happens, broken homes, children who don't have a father in their home, even when that husband wanted to keep the marriage. There can be that seeking of authority that breaks this relationship. So what we have is God created us for a relationship with no shame, no hiding. Sin broke the relationship. And we fall by settling and seeking out what keeps us from God. 
So for this third one here, uh, I have a little rhyme. Why is there a line to remind us there is a vine? Now, before we get to what Jesus has to tell us on this, I want to pick it back up with Paul from Romans. Because this is a struggle we know. I want to do good. I don't. And when I don't want to do bad, I do it anyways. So here is what Paul's conclusion and solution was in the chapter 7 and 8 here in Romans. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Living in the spirit, the exchanged life, Christ in you, the hope of glory, make that as a distinction over what's our self-effort, what's our sinful nature. Now we hear this preached a lot at this church, and we should. We should be hearing this a lot. Because we get caught up in this struggle, we get caught up in the whys, and really it's not on us, it's on God living in us. And we need to see that to get us out of the places where we're in the struggle. So that's the third line that I have here. And with it, how does Jesus say it to us? John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this would be the moment where, you know, Young people, other people, just do the mic drop. I, I don't have anything to add to Jesus. <laughs> the only thing I can bring is he had more to say in this chapter, and then there's more to say in the Gospel of John, and in Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke. And the rest of the Bible tells us of Jesus. When we remain in him, we are living out our created purpose, a relationship with God. So, have a little preview for next month because I'm talking about where is the line and we'll talk about that one. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. Uh, as we enter this season where we're remembering you coming to earth as an example for us on how to live out this relationship with God. Lord, when we're living in our own power and when we're living in our own way and our ideas that we are in charge, help correct us. Help set us on the right path. Help us trust and believe and follow you. So thank you for all the men here. I uh, thank you again for this church. I uh, thank you that we have freedom to worship you and ask that we would faithfully live that out each day. In Jesus' name, amen.